the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. This is the sound of the Iranian parliament chanting death to America. This is where they burned the American flag just a few short hours ago. Apparently, they're not real happy with President Trump's decision to officially pull the United States out of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, otherwise known as the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, you know, I mean, really? I mean, they're, they're not happy? How can you tell? I mean, this is the burning flags and chanting death to America or death to Israel. I mean, I thought that's what makes these people happy. They're always doing that. Let's put into perspective what we're dealing with here and who we're dealing with. The closing act of every Friday prayer session in Iran is accompanied by a U.S. flag burning and a death to America chant. That's at the end of their religious service. They have made praying for our destruction a national holiday. Death to America Day is November 4th. So, I mean, if you have a holiday, chanting death to America is probably a pretty good thing because there's like, oh, I remember when we had the picnic and remember when we used to go out and watch the fireworks as we burned the American flag. I mean, that's a happy memory. And quite honestly, until you get rid of your national holiday, Death to America Day, I don't think we have much to talk about. Now, all of this was known to the Obama administration two years ago, but the president decided to bypass Congress, which the president doesn't do treaties or deals like this. The Senate does. But he decided to bypass Congress and give those lunatics billions of dollars and sanctions relief. It included an initial payment of $400 million in cash, which was conveniently paid the same day Iran released four American hostages. But we don't do that. We don't pay for hostages. We don't do that as a country. So that was what a, what a coincidence. By February of 2016, the Obama administration had paid $1.7 billion of your tax money to the terrorist regime in Iran. $1.7 billion that Iran demanded in cash. So now you have to wonder what people like Ben Rhodes and Susan Rice and Samantha Power thought Iran was going to do with all of that cash. Invested in their country? Build roads? Why did, they inv- why did they want it in American dollars? Iran's inflation rate is soaring and their economy is in a death spiral. Anti-regime protests have been kicking off all over the country since the first of this year. Most of these protests are over the high price of basic items like butter and chicken. So where is all the money gone? Before the nuke deal, Iran was on the ropes. Today, their proxy forces have almost complete control over Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. This is what the Obama administration funded. They've marched a clear path toward Israel. That's their true target from the beginning. And anybody who is paying attention and not mocking the idea of a caliphate could have seen this one coming over 10 years ago. Actually, they've been plotting it since 1979. While their ground forces are busy 
quote, encircling Israel, end quote. They've also continued the development of their missile program. You see, this is why the Israelis had such a horrible relationship with Obama. The nuke deal didn't address any of these issues. And the only people that would be left to deal with it was Israel. Yesterday, as Iran announced the end of the deal, Iranian ground troops in Syria began positioning for an attack on northern Israel. The IDF went on high alert and began calling up their reserve forces. Authorities in the Golan Heights instructed anyone living in that area to prepare to move into their bomb shelters. Israel decided not to wait and attacked an Iranian position near Damascus. An Iranian position near Damascus. Eight Iranians were reportedly killed. None of this would have been possible if it weren't for the Iran nuke deal. The Obama administration tried to hand Israel to Iran on a platter, pure and simple. And that is the real Obama legacy. It's Wednesday, May 9th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. This morning, I I got up and I saw some tweets from Samantha Power. Remember, she's Cass Sunstein's wife. And uh, she is rabidly anti-Israel. And, uh, and, and was our UN ambassador and responsible for some of the worst ideas in foreign policy ever. And I just, she talked yesterday about, oh, it's a black cloud. I remember the day that dark cloud over the White House was removed and we made the deal with Iran. Hmm, really? That dark cloud? I think that dark cloud may have been there for another reason or seven. Let's just go through what this administration with Samantha Powers did what what was their plan? Now, we can say that it was anti-Israel and anti-West. Okay. We could say that. But let's assume that they had the best intentions. Let's assume that they really wanted peace. Then they're completely incompetent, and they made the same mistake over and over and over again, which is possible. But let's go over their mistakes. The Arab Spring is on fire. And so what do they do? They take a guy, Gaddafi, who is not a good guy. I think we all agree. But we had emasculated him. He had given up all of his uh, nuclear weapons, uh, you know, uh, desires. He was supposedly, you know, now kind of an ally. I mean, never really an ally. You don't ever trust that guy. But he wasn't. He wasn't sticking a hot fork in our face every day like Iran is or North Korea. So we just decide, you know what, let's destabilize. Let's get him out of there. And his people dragged him through the streets and we supported it. We helped arm these people to take over Libya. Result, Libya is a nightmare. Libya is a destabilized state. So in the middle of that, we realize, uh oh, we've got to get some of these guns back. We can't. We can't just have all of these guns because these are really bad guys. Let's get some of these things back. That's what Benghazi was. 
Benghazi was, let's take some arms and now let's ship them over to Syria because Syria, the administration and Samantha Power had decided, you know, we've we've had enough of Assad as well. Wait a minute. Weren't you guys just over there? Weren't wasn't Hillary Clinton in several pictures? Didn't wasn't uh, uh, several members of the Democratic core over sitting smiling with Assad just recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got to go. So to quell the problems in the Middle East, we just have to get rid of Gaddafi. Did that quell things? No, that made things worse. But it started an uprising on Assad. Okay, well, Assad's a bad guy. So let's take the guns from Libya and we'll ship them from Benghazi over to Syria. And we'll arm those people to get Assad out. Okay, who were those people that we armed? ISIS. Uh-oh, now ISIS is a problem. Now ISIS is beheading people. Now we see who ISIS really is. Well, we got to stop them. Well, I don't want to go in and actually bomb anything. I don't want to actually do anything. Don't worry. We can get another surrogate to do it because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And who's the enemy of ISIS? Iran. So what we'll do is we'll empower, embolden, and enrich Iran so Iran can go over and they can stop ISIS. So we don't have to do it. Okay, so we did. Now they have control of Iraq and large portions of Syria. And now their target is Israel. Oh man, is there somebody else we could... Who else? Who's really, who's worse than Iran? Could we empower them to stop Iran? Don't you see what's happening? Samantha Power and Barack Obama and his team are directly responsible for anything that happens to our main ally in the Middle East, uh, Israel. And they are directly responsible for the destabilization of all of this and the empowering of Iran. The one thing George Bush did destabilize by going into uh, Iran. I'm sorry, Iraq. But I will tell you this. He never empowered, never empowered Iran. The largest exporter of terror in the entire world. This is the true legacy. Now, what are we going to do about it? Are we just going to stir all this up and then just walk away? Well, you could make a case for that because it seems every time we butt our nose into somebody's business, we make it worse. Here's what we should do. We should send a strong message that we stand behind Israel. We should do something like, say... uh, Move our embassy to Jerusalem. Oh, we did that. Then we should say, we don't believe Iran. In fact, we believe that this was a giant mistake that emboldened and empowered them. 
and we want nothing to do with them, and we are putting them back in their box. You can join us or not, but that's what we're doing. Oh, wait a minute. Wow, it looks like President Trump did both of those things. Congratulations to the real Donald Trump. Oh, and one more thing we'll get to next. Hmm. It looks like three hostages in North Korea have just been released. An actual benefit of Donald Trump playing tough, being a bully to bullies. As we've said for years, the only language they understand is the language of strength. And I tell you, we, we're getting so much email from, from people who have uh, started the, uh, the course, the Smart Crypto course, from uh, the Palm Beach letter. I, I mean, I, I didn't know anything about cryptocurrency, how to invest in it, what to invest in. Neither did Stu. I mean, you were better at it than I was. I'm better at everything than you are. I don't, this is, uh, this is I don't why. think so. Enjoying a good Broadway show? Ha! No. <laughs> okay. All okay. Right. So no. anyway, uh, the Crypto Master Course, Stu and I, uh, we, we uh, met with um, uh, the guys at the Palm Beach Letter and Tika Tawari, and, and he's a former Wall Street guy and uh, hedge fund manager, and he went in and started doing homework years ago about cryptocurrency, and he just believes that this is the future, and I happen to agree with him. He's probably helped more people make more money on cryptocurrency than anybody else. But we had him in the office and we grilled him for a couple of hours and we're like, okay, so, so explain how this works. And he, he not only uh, knows how to explain it, but he doesn't talk down to you at all. You know, he knows that it's very complex. So we asked him if he could put together a how to course on, on crypto. Uh, and, and, and so you could, you could understand what it is, how it works then you could understand you could look and say okay well i kind of believe in this one or that one how do you invest how do you sell it how much should you invest all of this stuff that's the crypto master course and it is available now at smartcryptocourse.com that's smartcryptocourse.com by the way today at five o'clock it's kind of a show just made especially for barack obama and samantha power and uh, all of those that mocked the uh, caliphate that are now saying, oh, my gosh, this is such a bad thing with the Iran deal. Hmm. I'm going to outline very clearly um, exactly what you did, um, not to gloat, but just to be able to say, hmm, should we listen to you or not? Because here's what's coming next. You want to know what what Iran's real plan is in their own words? Hmm. Well, it kind of sounds like death to America. In fact, it is death to America and death to Israel. And we'll show you that uh, and, and why Donald Trump was right today at uh, 5 o'clock. By the way, the North Korea uh, regime has released the three American prisoners ahead of the summit. Yeah, we have this thing that we do where we tend to treat an agreement like it's an accomplishment. 
right? Like as the United States, right? Jimmy Carter, you know, look at any peace in the Middle East, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it didn't work out. Didn't work out. Um, The Iran deal. Mm -hmm. Didn't work out. It didn't work out. Uh, And there's a a danger that we go down, um, especially because he's a Republican, right? A talk radio audience might look at the North Korea talks even before an agreement. And there's been a lot of praise heaped onto the administration on it because, you know, we're excited that there's progress being made. But again, nothing's actually happened. Right. This is something where you could say, hey, this is something that's actually happened. Yeah. No matter how these talks this go, is, we have these three people back. Yeah. This is the first real success. I mean, you could talk about, you know, making progress, but this is the first milestone of success that's tangible. And we did say that, by the way, when it came to the hostages in Iran as well. Well, even though we didn't like the way it went down, we're glad we got the people back. Yes. And the, that's the same situation here. No matter how this goes, we really hope it goes well with North Korea. But if it doesn't, at least these people are back. And that's a real legitimate accomplishment uh, for the administration. I hope the media will actually acknowledge that, but I don't know if they will. You know, as it turns out, Donald Trump may be the best thing for a world that has has been filled with dictators and despots. Um, Donald Trump may be the best one to work with them because he speaks their language. You know, he's a brutal guy. Uh, with brutal language and he bullies right back and that's really the only kind of language that these guys understand i think they're they they look at him and go okay well don't screw with him because he might he might do it where all all western approaches are always you know speak softly and don't carry a big stick i'm not sure i agree with that completely i mean i think there's been He's doing something differently than other presidents. I think people are 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 associating that with this tough talk, which I, I'm not saying that's not part of it. But I think like really what Trump does better than other presidents is he's willing to risk things, right? He he he's he's not risk averse, mm-hmm. and so he. I think the tough talk is maybe part of that, but I think more importantly is what he's doing with China behind the scenes. I think that's more important. Um, and also, I think what he's done with with Kim Jong Un is embraced him, right? Like he has said nice things about him. He has said he said tough talk too, because that's been part of it. But he's also gone the other way. He's played good cop, bad cop, mm-hmm. and no one plays good cop with Kim Jong Un. And on the other side too, there's also other factors like South Korea also willing to do that at the same time, which hasn't necessarily always been the case. Yeah, well, I think South Korea is the t- is the typical Western way of dealing the way. South Korea is they just want peace. Yeah. They just want peace. They want reuni- you know, reunification. And that's not a way to get anything done because then your adversary holds all the cards. They have to believe that you're just crazy enough yeah. to do it. And if but, if people believe that and it only comes it doesn't come from nobody can act that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nobody can pretend to be that way. It's your character. And Donald Trump does walk with that swagger. I mean, it's it's look, it's why he could build the Trump Tower in Washington or in uh, New York, because Cartier, I think it was Cartier. No, Tiffany's owned all of the airspace. And he walked in and said, you're going to give me the airspace so I can build the Trump Tower. And they said, oh, no, we don't. Well, riffraff in our neighborhood. And he said, well, I've already owned I already own the land. 
So I'll build a five-story building, and it's going to be the ugliest damn building you've ever seen. (laughs) Or I'll build this one. But here are the plans for both. You choose. Let me know I'm going back to the office. They knew he wasn't bluffing, that he would build that ugly building. They gave him the air rights. That is his character on display. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We're bringing uh, Ben Shapiro in uh, just to get his uh, opinion on a couple of things here. Uh, ben, welcome to the program. Ben Shapiro from the uh, Daily Wire. Uh, uh, ben, first let me start with uh, Samantha Power and the uh, uh, Iran deal. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she is, I mean, she's directly responsible for empowering Iran uh, and and enriching Iran she, I think, only did it because they were in so much trouble because of the Benghazi gun running uh, that they needed somebody to, to fight ISIS because they wouldn't. So they get they get Iran to fight ISIS. I mean, it was just a cascade of of errors. And it doesn't help that, you know, I don't think she really likes Israel all that much. Yeah, I think the Obama administration had from the very beginning, I mean, even since before Obama was president, they, they had a plan for the Middle East. And that was to reshape the Middle East in line with Iranian regional ambition because Obama has this particularly weird idea that Iran could be easily moderated and that they could, they could become a regional counterbalance to Israel because he doesn't like Israel particularly much. He doesn't like Saudi Arabia a lot. So why not, why not empower the mullahs? Maybe that would moderate them. And obviously the, the opposite happened. The mullahs were, were strengthened in power. Obama, you know, since 2009, was allowing dissidents to be mowed down in the streets, basically, mm. with no response from the United right. States. The, the Iran deal was just an outgrowth of, of Obama's peculiarly pro-Iranian view. Samantha Power is, is, I think, even more ridiculous because Samantha Power, of course, got famous off the back of writing a book about genocide and the horrors of genocide in the West that stands by and does nothing while genocide is pursued. And then, of course, she was the architect of a Syria and Iran policy that ends with the genocide of half a million people in, in Syria. So she and, and yesterday she's sitting around talking about, oh, I remember the dark days when we had to worry about Iranian nuclear ambitions. I remember the dark days when Iran was a real threat. And then I remember the joy and the wonder that came about after the Iran deal. And you're looking around going, um, Samantha, Assad used gas on his own people five minutes ago. Iran has taken over Lebanon. Iran is taking over Yemen. Iran is taking over Iraq. Iran is pursuing violence via Hamas and Hezbollah. Like, what, what, are, you, what, what are you smoking? I mean, what, what kind of crack are you on? Because you're living in this alternative world where the Iran deal solves all of the Iran problems. And as you see, I think the most hilarious thing about the, the aftermath of, of Trump's completely correct and, and brave rejection of the Iran deal. The, the most hilarious thing is that the Obama people who had said that the deal was going to establish moderates in Iran, those same people were saying, well, now look at Iran. What do you expect them to do? And Iran was saying, we're going to go directly after nuclear weapons. We're, we're going to burn American flags and shout death to America. We're going to pursue strikes against Israel. Yeah, clearly the moderates have been wildly empowered by the Iran deal. So this is really just empowering now Israel. I have no question that Israel could defend itself and can take care of itself. This is a, uh, a, a good move t- toward uh, empowering Israel. However, Ben, next week is their 70th birthday. We're going to open up the, um, the embassy, which I support. You've got, you've got riots in Gaza on the border. You have uh, the Iranian guard coming in and closing. You have you have people starting to move towards the Golan Heights. Are we at a flashpoint? Is next week a really, really dangerous week? I mean, I I think it is definitely a more dangerous week. But the problem for Iran is that it has no anti-Israel allies in the region other than the ones that it directly controls. So 
it's less dangerous for Israel than the same moves would have been, say, 15 years ago. Because the fact is that the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Jordanians, they're all on Israel's side. I mean, the Saudis have legitimately been telling the Palestinians, either take the deal that's being offered you or sit down and shut up, because they understand that Iran is, is a greater threat. One of the weird effects of Obama's pro-Iran policy is that it actually created this counterbalance in the form of this alliance that didn't exist before. I, I think that, you know, is it more dangerous in terms of Iran could, you know, push violence against Israel next week? Sure. Is it, but it's less dangerous than it would be in 10 years when Iran does the same thing, right? If Iran has nuclear weapons and Iran pushes the same thing, then all of a sudden you're looking at the risk of nuclear war in the Middle East. Iran does not have a functional nuclear weapon at this point yet which means that Bibi Netanyahu has got to be sitting there thinking, listen, if I've got to take the battle today or I've got to take the battle seven years from now when Iran has a nuke, I'd much rather fight it today, which is why Israel went in and struck an Iranian target in Syria. They've been striking Iranian targets in Syria pretty regularly. Iran would be absolutely foolish to, to escalate things dramatically with Israel because Israel actually does not only have the power to, to protect itself, but working in conjunction with Saudi Arabia using Saudi airspace, they have the conjunction to do serious damage to the regime itself. Do you think that um, uh, the, the, what happened in uh, with Saudi Arabia and the Middle East because of Barack Obama in some ways is going to happen here? I mean, this intellectual dark web, uh, the progressive movement has overplayed its hand and become so arrogant uh, and so unhinged that you're now starting to see, like you do in the Middle East, strange allies that are like, OK, this is crazy. We don't agree on everything. But we both agree that's much worse. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening. I think the radicalism of the left, which used to be you know, a fringe part of the liberal movement and now is moving very much into the mainstream, it's driving people out, even people who agree with the left. I mean, the, the, the intellectual dark web, which is this, this name that was given to a group of thinkers by Eric Weinstein, who's a, a former Harvard uh, mathematics professor, a PhD. He's, he, he gave the name to this group of people that includes people like Jordan Peterson and me and Sam Harris and, uh, and uh, Christina Hoff Summers and, and Joe Rogan and Dave Rubin. It's, it's a bunch of weird thinkers, right? Brett Weinstein, who's a socialist. It's a bunch of people who disagree about everything politically, you know, people who are Bernie Sanders supporters and people who are Trump supporters and people who didn't support either and people who like Hillary. And the, the only thing that they have in common is they're looking at the left, and the left is attempting to shut down debate. The left is calling all of them racist, sexist, bigot, homophobes, and all these people going, wait a second. We just want to have reasonable conversations, even with each other, right? I mean, Sam Harris and I agree about nothing. I've been on Sam's podcast. Sam's going to come on my podcast. And the reason for this is because even though we agree on almost nothing, right, we both agree that the left attempts to shut down honest debate over the issue of, for example, radical Islam, is completely counterproductive and prevents anybody from having a decent conversation. So you're right that the, the, the radicalism of the left is creating all of these weird bedfellows, all these strange allies, and the left doesn't even see it. The left is, is stuck in this old model where if they just shout racist at us or if they shout bigot at us or if they, if they suggest that we should be thrown out of the Overton window, we just look at them and go, well, this is you yelling. This is how we built audiences. Right? Like we're not, none of us are on mainstream media. All of us built audiences on the back of you saying that we were deplorables. You shouldn't be listened to. And again, they're calling everyone a deplorable. They've created this tiny little window between Hillary Clinton and Ta-Nehisi Coates. And if you're not in that window, then you get thrown out. Well, that leaves a lot of people outside the window. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I've, I've seen a few crazies on the, the right uh, claim that you are just empowering the, um, the atheist uh, uh, wing of the left uh, going so far as saying that you're an atheist uh, and Jordan Peterson is an atheist. How, yeah, how, that's, how, that's how do you respond I, to that? I, I, 
I, I wear the funny hat on my head and take every Friday night to Saturday night off and keep kosher and do all of this weird stuff because I'm an atheist. That's yeah, I know. Why. I know. I I'm thought that was the Yeah, it's, right. it's, 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 that, that is just it's it's fully nuts. But there, there's a kook wing to, to I think every political movement, and and unfortunately, there's a kook wing to ours as well. So Ben, how do you how do you if we're driving towards the Enlightenment, which I think this intellectual dark web is, how do you um, meet with a bunch of atheists who I have atheist friends and have no problem with it, but we have to uh, make sure that reason uh, is coupled with the enlightenment of rights come from someplace else other than God. How do you how do yeah. you bridge that gap? Well, I, th- I think for the moment, the, the, the important thing is that a lot of these atheists agree with the Enlightenment value of reason, but you're exactly correct. This is where the rubber is going to meet the road. And this is the debate that I've been having with, with Sam Harris, right? Sam is a militant atheist, and obviously I'm not. It, the debate that I've been having with Sam and with you know, Stephen Pinker and, and some of these other sort of Enlightenment, what, what are calling themselves the neo-Enlightenment thinkers, is that, number one, I think that they're granting entirely too much credit to the Enlightenment itself as the source of science and the source of human rights. Because if you look historically, that's just not accurate. Human rights were, were in abeyance. Uh, they, they're, already, they're already starting to come around as early as the Renaissance. And science was a continuous process. I mean, Isaac Newton was happening in the 1650s, long before the Enlightenment. So the, the idea that, that it's just a bunch of atheist thinkers from 1790s France who are responsible for all the great good that's happened to the world since, I think is just inaccurate. Beyond that, they're failing to explain why it is that the Enlightenment happened here and now. Why is it that the Enlightenment happened in the West at a particular time? Why didn't it happen in China? Why didn't it happen in India? Why didn't it happen in the Middle East? And the answer, of course, is because there's a Judeo-Christian culture that has been built up over the course of literally thousands of years and that has principles that are very much in, in evidence in Enlightenment thinking. John Locke, who's, of course, the leading American Enlightenment thinker, the, the Enlightenment thinker who the founders relied on most, John Locke spent half his life writing defenses of the Bible. He wrote Christian apologetics. These were religious guys, a lot of these Enlightenment thinkers. And I know there's this, this attempt to paint all Enlightenment thinkers as Kant. Right? They're, they're all pantheists who reject Christianity. Um, but the reality is that the Enlightenment was a lot more diverse than that, and not all aspects of the Enlightenment were particularly good. And I think we have to look at where did these aspects of the Enlightenment come from? And, are those, and more importantly, are those aspects of the Enlightenment is it possible to uphold those aspects of the Enlightenment in the absence of certain Judeo-Christian values? So, for example, you see people like Pinker and people like Harris talking about the value of each individual human being. Like Harris says he builds that his entire worldview, his entire moral worldview, on the well-being of humans. Okay, well, what in atheism suggests that the well-being of humans ought to be the first priority? The answer is nothing. Atheism is not a system of thought. Atheism is a rejection of God. It is only in the Judeo-Christian West that says that man is made in God's image that you can have a, a system that says, and human beings have individual rights because they were made in God's image, that you have rights and I have rights. Otherwise, collectivists say, well, you know, human beings are human beings, and if we want to make life better for everybody, if we kill a few million of them here or there, what's the big deal? Couldn't the, you? The idea of in, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Now, the, the idea of individual rights springs from a long tradition in, in the Christian West, and trying to separate off the, the rose from the bush is going to, it, you may be able to put the rose on the vase for a minute, but it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, die and wither pretty quickly. Couldn't you, couldn't you make the case that um, the enlightenment without God is kind of what the left has thought they were doing here in the last few you know, decades where we are science-based and let's get away from God and let's treat each other right. And without those principles of the 
individual is supreme and the individual, uh, you know, has certain unchangeable rights, we start to just slide into this kind of crazy place that we're in now. I think that's exactly right. I think that it's not just that the, the enlightenment without God, you know, brings us to where we are now. It's the enlightenment without God brings us to some of the worst places that we've ever been. Yes. Right. It marks it. Marks was part of the enlightenment. Okay. People want to say that he was part of the counter enlightenment. That's, that's a nice way of, of trying to exclude him from the community of people who were thinking along the lines of reason. Marx thought he was, he was speaking on behalf of pure reason. He thought he was speaking on behalf of the idea that human beings were, were, fatally flawed. And the only way to fix that was through reason via the collective, right? If, you, if we could just shift the system in which we live, then human beings would naturally become better. There were a lot of enlightenment thinkers like August Comte who, who were specifically saying, let's look at science and then let's base public policy around science. And this led to the growth of centralized bureaucracy, which, by the way, in the early 20th century is pushing eugenics here in the United States. So it, reason can take you in a lot of different directions if you don't have fundamental principles on, on which to base reason. Reason is not actually a set of principles. Reason is a methodology. Just like diplomacy is not a set of principles. Diplomacy is a methodology. The question is, what are the premises that you are using to work off of when you, when you use reason? Beyond which, I think that a lot of atheist thinkers, you know, they, they like to talk about reason and, and they talk about will and how we can change things around. And, and you just wonder, well, what in atheism, what in atheist science says that reason ought to be the ultimate value at all? Why should, why should reason be the ultimate value? Why shouldn't it be emotion? Why shouldn't it be instinct? Why shouldn't it be nature itself? The reason is, a, is an, a, a pre-enlightenment concept. I mean, it goes all the way back to Aristotle and Greece and, the, the, and, and Plato. The, the notion that reason is itself pushed by science is completely ascientific. There's, there's nothing in science that says that reason has to be the way that we govern the world. I just would like to point out at this point, uh, Ben lives in uh, Los Angeles, and so it is about 6.59 there in the morning. Uh, have you ever been able to think like this at any time of the day, let alone 6.30 in the morning? Well, the, the, the good news is I have an alarm clock in the morning with my son who decides to wake up at 5.55 every morning, so I've been up for a while. Uh, okay, all right, good. Yeah, me too, me too. Thanks a lot, Ben. I appreciate it. Ben Shapiro, if you don't know his uh, podcast, find it at The Daily Wire or on, uh, you know, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, ben Shapiro. Simply Safe. Simply Safe has uh, won some accolades, uh, and usually awards don't mean anything, but these awards do. These are Editor's Choice Awards. They're from CNET Magazine, PC Magazine, and The Wirecutter. These are the, the really respected high-tech product testers, and they put Simply Safe through a battery of tests. They compared it to other home security products, and Simply Safe won every single time. Simply Safe. Best home security system, best security system for your office or your your store. If you have a small business, you need a security system. Get Simply Safe. You have a home, you need a simply you need a security simply. Get Simply Safe. Security done your way. Now it's really easy to use. You can control it right from your your phone if you want. It, but it's not a gadget. This is. This is really high tech at its best. And 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, their professional alarm system is there. Their monitoring is there around the clock, $15 a month. There's no contracts. You own the system. You say, I want this. I want monitoring right now, and I don't want it in three weeks, whatever. 
simplysafebeck.com save a buttload of money and keep your family safe take 10% off now at simplysafebeck.com welcome to the program glad that you're here hey there's a new Ebola outbreak Ooh. in the Congo killed 17 people two more cases confirmed 21 suspected just don't, don't worry though no. No, no everything's fine Glenn everything right? is going to be fine Right. There's certainly no risk going on with something like this. We certainly are are well prepared to stop an epidemic like this. There's no risk of anything bad happening because we're so on top of it. Well, actually, Reed Wilson is going to be joining us. He's got a book out uh, called Ebola and the Global Scramble to Prevent the Next Killer Outbreak. He was there, you know, in one of the rubber suits. Mm -hmm. He says... No, we're really not prepared. Really? We're really not prepared. Uh, Epidemic is the name of his uh, book. He's concerned about a pandemic. Uh, and today, news is broken that Ebola has, has broken out yet again. We'll have more on that coming up. Glenn Beck. Well, the mainstream media has largely celebrated its role in toppling uh, people like Harvey Weinstein. And providing a platform for the hashtag MeToo movement. However, I don't know if that's how Ronan Farrell feels. It's his reporting on Harvey Weinstein that earned him a Pulitzer Prize. But he has now called out the media for its own behavior. During a speech at the graduation ceremony at University in Los Angeles this weekend, Farrow, the son of Mio Farrow and Woody Allen, discussed the obstacles that he faced, obstacles from within the industry that have since celebrated his accomplishments. I've talked a little publicly about some of the challenges I faced reporting my stories on sexual violence, how the systems commanded by those powerful men I mentioned earlier came crashing down on me, too and how people I trusted turned on me, and powerful forces in the media world became instruments of suppression. Now, he spoke in vague, shadowy terms about the obstacles that he faced during his work on the Weinstein story. It's not exactly clear whether or not he's referencing people within the news media, although it's a pretty safe presumption. He depicts a life guided by fear, fear of powerful people within the media who sought to intimidate and even harm him. I had moved out of my home because I was being followed and threatened. I was facing personal legal threats from a powerful and wealthy man who said he was going to use the best lawyers in the country to wipe me out and destroy my future. And if against all odds I got through that and found a way to publish this story, I did not know if anyone would care. Because I had spent a year in rooms with executives telling me it wasn't a story at all. Because this was long before the extraordinary months of conversation and analysis and acknowledgement that the suffering of these women mattered. Now, Farrow's latest piece has exposed New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, who is a is a prominent force in the progressive liberal Democratic Party and a so-called Me Too advocate. He has used his role as attorney general to prosecute Harvey Weinstein. In fact, Schneiderman praised Farrow and the New York uh, and the New Yorker for their Pulitzer Prize winning work on the story. But like the workers within the mainstream media who sought to derail Farrow's devastating expose, Schneiderman, if the allegations are in fact true, has been revealed as a as a as a worse hypocrite. Whose grandstanding was a diversionary tactic. Have you noticed the tweets to the women who came out against Schneiderman? 
they're getting hammered by those who are only playing politics. And it happens on both sides. Pharaoh's speech built to a rousing end. He offered a way out of the current cultural struggle that we face as a nation. He worded it universally so that he was addressing all of us, no matter what your politics and agree or disagree with his politics. He strives or has striven to expose the wrongdoing of powerful people. He did it at his own peril and his own risk. And I think he still does it at his own peril and risk. In short, he's doing what actual journalists should be doing. But journalists are no different than the rest of us. Whenever somebody really digs in and says, I don't have any sacred cows. I'm just going to go and find the truth. That usually makes not only mainstream media, but a lot of people in the mainstream general public furious. It's Wednesday, May 9th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So we get up this morning and we see that the Congo is reporting two new cases of Ebola um, in the northwestern town and blah, blah, blah. It looks like they're... um, Ebola is believed to be spread long distances by bats, which can live in the virus. The virus can live in without dying. Uh, And this is less than a year after the last outbreak in which eight people were infected, four of whom died. The biggest outbreak um, happened just a few years ago. We all remember it. It it came all the way to to the United States. Eleven thousand three hundred people were infected. Uh, um, I'm sorry, died, and over 2,800, or jeez, 28,000 were infected. Are we done with Ebola? Well, there's a new book out called Ep- um, Epidemic, Ebola and the Global Scramble to Prevent the Next Killer Outbreak. Reed Wilson is the author. He's with The Hill, and he's with us now. Hello, Reed. How are you? Hey, Glenn, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, so e- Ebola, you know, I think we're we're sitting here and there's really kind of two schools or two camps, one that roll their eyes and like, OK, well, it, it, everybody always panics and it, it's always fine. And the other side that is like, we're right for a pandemic. We're all going to die. Where where is where are we? Which side is is more accurate? Well, I think the we're ripe for a pandemic is probably correct, although I don't I don't think we're all going to die um, there. But there are definitely reasons to be concerned about the state of the global public health system. It is not adequately uh, prepared to deal with a pandemic, whether it's something that comes out of, you know, the Congo River Basin like Ebola or whether it comes out of a, you know, a bird market in China, like a, like a, a new flu or something like that. Uh, the fact is the world health system is only as strong as its weakest link. And there are a lot of really weak links out there uh, that in, in places that simply aren't prepared to keep track of viruses that, you know, we don't even know about. You say that it, the, the, the deadliest virus, uh, the, the deadliest case of Ebola that, that happened a few years ago, came here to the United States. You said that it was, it's really the story of, uh, of unbelievable and in, uh, inconceivable coincidence. 
that made that it thing is. happen. Yeah, and this is largely because when we talk about Ebola, we're used to talking about places like the Democratic Republic of the Congo. This this small town where this latest outbreak has happened is called Bikoro. It's about 370 miles from the original, the, the first Ebola outbreak that we know about back in 1976. The outbreak that happened in West Africa a few years ago is basically a continent away. It's like the difference between Seattle and Miami. Um, this is an, an area where Ebola had never shown up before. And it's an area where the culture is totally different. In in the Congo River Basin, you know, people travel through dense jungles or down the Congo River. There's sort of there's not a lot of travel uh, in West Africa. The culture is much more about travel and trade across international borders and from rural areas into big cities uh, like Monrovia, the capital of Liberia, or Freetown, the capital of Sierra Leone. So Ebola back then was able to first of all it broke out in an area where nobody knew what they were looking. At. And second, it broke out in an area where it was uniquely able to travel from this remote rural village called Meliandu, this tiny little village in, in rural Guinea, uh, to cities of a million people that had direct air traffic to Europe, to the Middle East, and to a country like Nigeria. So that's the, the real bad coincidence, is that it, it happened in a place where we didn't know, and nobody knew what they were looking at, and in a place uniquely susceptible to actually spreading. And that's why it spread. You say there are 28,000 cases. That's what the World Health Organization actually reported. In, in all likelihood, the actual number of cases is probably tens of thousands higher simply because we didn't know that people had it uh, because this is such a remote area. Wow. Reed, it was interesting. One point that you made in that uh, the, the, the outbreak happened in an area that was relatively speaking friendly to America, which was allowed us to intervene as much as we did. Do you have any, what would it look like if this were to have happened in, let's say, Pakistan or a place that was not as easy for us to be involved in? Yeah, you know, I, I talked to some of the folks who were on the ground in Liberia when 3,000 American troops arrived. And, you know, the, the United States effectively created Liberia back in the 1800s as a, a refuge for slaves, former slaves who were returned uh, back to Africa. And the, the, the big the big moment when 3,000 American troops arrived, you know, the U.S. favorability rating in Liberia is like 99%. It was seen as this blessed moment when uh, the, the great savior had come and, and really was going to help turn the tide on this virus. Imagine what happens if this virus pops up in Pakistan or Indonesia or, or China even, a place, you know, no, a place where the 101st Airborne would have to fight its way in before it got to fight the virus. Um, the other two countries where this Ebola outbreak broke out, you know, Sierra Leone has a very close relationship with the UK. Uh, Guinea has a very close relationship with France. Those are the three countries, the US, France, and the UK, that are best able to respond to a pandemic or an outbreak like this. There are countries that are just not able to uh, respond to something like this, where the United States' help would not be as welcome. And that's when we start worrying that the, the vectors of a virus uh, are able to reach across the globe. Think about it like this. We have, there's a, a booming middle class in Asia and Africa that is more able to travel around the world than ever before. And by the way, there are more Americans who are traveling to other countries than ever before. So there are, just, there are more opportunities for a virus like this to spread from whether it's the, you know, the jungles of the Congo or the, the slums of Monrovia, Liberia, or a bird market in China uh, to the United States, to Europe, to countries around the world. You said, and I, I, I found this hard to believe, 
um, in your book, you said uh, that um, Thucydides wrote about a disease <laughs> in ancient Greeks that appears to be the Ebola virus. So has this been around forever? Well, the Ebola virus is uh, what's called a hemorrhagic fever. Um, it's a phylovirus, a very specific kind of, of virus that uh, there aren't many cases, many examples of in the world. Uh, and there is a chance that the plague of Athens, which you know hit during the Peloponnesian War back in the time of Thucydides, about 420, 425 BC, uh, could have been the Ebola virus. Uh, Thucydides himself contracted this virus. He, he talks about how it impacted health workers, which is exactly what happens in an Ebola outbreak. He talked about uh, people having to rip off their clothes because they felt like they were burning under their skin, which is exactly what happens in an Ebola outbreak. And he said it came from a region of the Upper Nile, which is down in in South Sudan, uh, which is very near the the Congo River Basin, which is exactly where the Ebola virus comes from. So yeah, there's there's a chance that but phyloviruses themselves have probably been around for millions of years, and they almost certainly have come into contact with humans throughout the course of history. We just didn't know exactly what we were looking at until the very first outbreaks that we were able to identify. I say we, that doctors were able to identify back in 1976. Uh, Reed is watching the Ebola breakout in, in Africa uh, from safely from across the o- ocean until it you know, ended up in the exact city that we are in right now in Dallas. Uh, yeah. it, it was amazing to me. One of the things that I really took out of that was the amazing efforts of faith organizations that went in there and really risked seemingly everything uh, with no regard for their own safety at times uh, going in there. Can you talk about their role in, in making sure this did not turn out to be a lot worse? Yeah, I'm really glad you picked up on that because this is this is one of the really cool stories. And in, in this in this story of you know scary viruses, we can take heart that like this is the best of the world. This is really good people coming together and doing things. Um, in you know Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Liberia are countries that are basically divided between Christians, Muslims, and sort of more traditional faith religions, uh, tra- traditional religious practices in in more rural areas. And in a lot of cases, you had uh, Christian ministers and Muslim imams standing next to each other in front of each other's congregations saying, look, Ebola is real. Here's how you defend from it. Here's how you protect yourself. Here's how you can be treated if you get it. Um, It was a a lot of the faith community uh, that was able to spread the message that, you know, if you get Ebola, you will will be very sick, but you may survive. And that was a really important message to convey to people. Uh, The initial, you know, the World Health Organization went in and they're, they're initial message was Ebola will kill you. Well, that meant that a lot of people who got Ebola, they didn't want to go to a treatment center. They wanted to stay at home. And if they were going to die, they wanted to die around their families. Uh, That at the moment made them uh, hugely contagious to those families. So the the new message spread by those faith leaders that, hey, you can get treated was really important to getting people into treatment. But it was was also people like Samaritan's Purse that came in and really did some remarkable work. And and they, in much the way you are in your book, uh, Epidemic, are warning the United States and the World Health Organization just not prepared. It's just, it's, they were surprised at, wait a minute, what do you mean there's no plan? What do you mean there's not, what do you mean you can't do that? Um, they, they were shocked at how unprepared we were. 
I think that's exactly right. And a group like Samaritan's Purse, you know, this is an organization that sends doctors to the, the poorest regions in, in the world. And uh, one of the guys who, who, by the way, has Texas roots, uh, Kent Brantley, was a, a doctor in uh, one of the a clinic called Elwa, uh, the Eternal Love Winning Africa is the uh, is the NGO that was running it uh, in Monrovia, and he was treating these these patients. The, the just terrifying part of the, the heartbreaking part of the story is a lot of these doctors started counting the patients who survived because it was easier than counting the patients who died. That's how deadly the Ebola virus was. Ken Brantley did some amazing work, took his family over there, uh, lived in, in basically extreme poverty so that he could serve the rest of the world, you know, people who, who needed it more than, more than he did. Uh, he ended up contracting the disease, and uh, fortunately, uh, the U.S. government sent over what was effectively an air ambulance that they kept on contract. Uh, so they brought Kent Brantley and Nancy Wrightbull, who was a missionary from another uh, organization called Serving in Mission, back to Emory Hospital in Atlanta. And fortunately, they both walked out of the hospital after, after a few weeks, uh, and they are, they are completely cured now. So uh, the, the, it's, it is hard to overstate the role of a lot of these missionary organizations in West Africa uh, during this Ebola outbreak. I'd also point to a, country, a, a group like World Vision. You know, a lot of people know World Vision is that company, the, the group that says, hey, spend, you know, 10 bucks a month and save 30 kids or something mm-hmm. like that. They had something like 56,000 sponsored children in Sierra Leone. They did such good work in Sierra Leone that not a single one of those kids got sick. Wow. 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 Uh, Reed Wilson, the name of the book is Epidemic Ebola and the Scramble to Prevent the Next Killer Outbreak. Reed, thank you so much. Thanks for your hard work on this. Um, you can grab the book and you might want to because uh, in the Congo today it has been just released that there is yet another outbreak of Ebola. And as Reed says uh, quite intensely in his book, the pandemic is coming. It's just a matter of time. We have to know, are we prepared for it? And right now, we're not. All right, let me tell you about 1-800-Flowers. It's Wednesday. But if you... See, here's the problem. I'm in the same boat you are. About three weeks now until Mother's Day. So you got plenty of time. Just uh, take your time. No, I'm in the same boat that I I say this every day. You got to do it. You got to do it. And then... I don't do it because I'm on the air. I need somebody to remind me when I'm off the air. I mean, I think you could make this argument to Tanya. I think you can say to her, look, I'm doing commercials. I'm helping more people than I'm hurting here. I'm reminding people to go to 1-800-Flowers.com. And you're not reminding me, honey, to do it. If you reminded me, I would get them for you. Yes, but you didn't. Nobody's reminding me. I'm reminding the nation. So, so you're really the victim here. Look, is, I'm is the, the victim. That, yeah. Listen, I'm I'm putting myself out as a sacrificial lamb for you right now. Oh. Call 1-800-Flowers.com. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com right now and get their uh, special 24 multicolored roses plus a free vase starting at $29.99. Bright, beautiful roses. Um, and they're perfect for Mother's Day. They'll be delivered on time. Everything's going to be great. They're shipped and cut at their peak. 24 multicolored roses. You get it now. It starts with a free glass vase, $29.99. The offer ends tomorrow. I can't help you, and you've has been no help to me because you're not reminding me when I'm off the air. Uh, but 
you got to do it right now. Mother's Day is Sunday. 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers.com. Use the promo code BECK. You know that moment that you have when you're buying a house, when there's a giant stack of paperwork there, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, man, this is, what am I signing? I'm signing my life away. What is going on? The only way to get rid of that feeling is by having a real estate agent that you trust someone who actually knows what they're doing, someone you can believe, someone you can go into battle with when it comes to buying or selling a house and know you have someone dependable on your side. That's why Glenn, uh, he created a company called realestateagentsitrust.com. It's a website for you to go and find the best real estate agent in your area. People who listen and watch the show, who share your values, who get great performance in their area, who know how to do advertising and know how to keep you updated. If you need to sell a house fast and for the most money, or if you're looking to buy, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. You'll be introduced to the best agent in your town right now. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. By the way, lots of requests, Glenn, for the Staying Ebola Free song. Oh yeah, that's easy. That's easy. That that was our contribution. Yeah, we helped. Could we do we have the uh, do we have the song, Sarah? Could you look that up for us, please? I assume, by the way, Reed mentioned that in the book. I, I didn't notice it in there I when I was reading through. Um, but you know, the fact that we informed people yeah. how to stay away from Ebola and stay Ebola free is the main cause uh, of it not turning into it's a really global easy. pandemic. It's very very simple. Sarah, do you have the song? Not to look for that because I know. Okay. Uh, it really basically shut down the entire scare. That was my opinion of it, at least. I mean, I, yeah, we got so, a lot of heat for it. People say you're not taking Ebola seriously, and we're like, no, no, no. We, yeah, listen to this song. These, these are the these mm-hmm. are the safety tips for Ebola. So people learned, and once we again, saved a nation. We were the heroes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say that we're heroes, but obviously we're heroes. Yes, I, I think so. Now we did something at the same time where we sent one of our staff members into the hot zone. Mm-hmm. But we didn't let him come to work for 42 days after. Uh, so, I mean, he was here in the country, but he wasn't around any of us. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, that was also helpful. We're sending that same staff member <laughs> over to Israel uh, in a couple of days. We'll explain next. Keep away from eyes that bleed Don't lick vomit off the street And I know you don't want to die So slowly back away from that infected guy Stay in Ebola free Stay in Ebola free Don't eat that raw meat and see We'll all be Ebola free Keep away from those sweaty sheets Keep away from discharge that secretes And if you want to call me your fear Put down that glass of diarrhea Stay in Ebola free Stay in Ebola free don't touch others' poop and pee, and we'll be Ebola free. Just that easy. Just wash your hands, and you will see we can be Ebola free. Just that easy. You're welcome uh, to the world. 
Um, Jason Petrill is uh, with us, who we uh, sent out into the hot zone uh, last time. We're not sending him to the the current hot zone this time. Uh, it's only because we just found about it today. Yeah, we just found out about it today, and he's booked on some other hot zone. We're sending you and uh, Dan Andros uh, to uh, Israel next week. Uh, Dan is has was my writer for years and years and years. Man, fifteen years. Is he on the phone, Dan? I am. I'm here. Yeah. Uh, and you're now the managing editor of Faithwire. And so you guys are going to go to Israel um, because I, I think I think tomorrow, uh, next week is a really dicey week, uh, you know, even coming into this weekend. Uh, and, you know, I thought, why not send two of my good friends right <laughs> into the jaws of death? Uh, but there's, there's stories going on in Israel that I don't think people are really covering uh, they're they're just telling us about the riots and how evil Israel is. They're talking about you know the the bombings uh, and how evil Israel is. They're not finding the real story. So you two guys are just going to go as average people. And where are you going? Right. So this is the the feeling we have now is really similar when Dan and I went to Iraq. Uh, what was that Dan like two years ago? I think back in 2015. And uh, we were just talking. I think we were working on one of your long, in-depth monologues. And we were like, <laughs> what is going Because like, it had been over a year since ISIS had flown, you know, swept into and were killing Christians, were killing cities, were killing all these people. And we're like, why are we not doing anything about it? And why is the media not covering it? And then we eventually said, well, you know, the, the media is just dropping the ball here. They're not going to cover it. We're not going to get the story unless we go down there actually and find out for ourselves. Not as journalists. You know, not as people that have been trained to do this, just as like regular people, like regular people want to know from, you know, through their own eyes what actually is happening. So that was the whole point of that. Well, we've been talking lately and we were like, you know, the exact same thing is going on in Israel right now. I mean, it really is one of those watershed moments in history for Israel. I mean, it really is. I mean, this the end of this week and the beginning of next week, all the things that are going on right now are historic. There's the uh, 70th anniversary of Israel. There is the um, establishment of the U.S. Embassy in, in Jerusalem. There's all of these things kind of, you know, all going down all at once, all at one time. And what are we seeing right now? We are seeing uh, Israel in the news is attacking, you know, uh, Iranian elements in Syria. Well, why? You know, why are they doing that? We're not we're only getting one side yeah. of that. At the same time, there yeah, is this march of return where there's tens of thousands of people that are rioting on the border. And it's culminating the day of on the 14th and 15th, those two days, with over 100,000 protesters that are supposed to uh, try to push through basically the border. Who's pulling these strings? Why are they doing these things? We're not being told the truth. We're just not. Yeah, and like it's it's no, it's nothing new that Israel has uh, sort of been on the receiving end of, of poor press and PR, where it's always Israel's fault, which is, is really kind of a comical notion when you think about it. You've got this little nation here that really has no business surviving, uh, and I think we all know from our perspective that it's God's blessing that has allowed it to survive, but you look at them and they're constantly portrayed as the aggressor. And again, which is hilarious, when you look at you've got Iran, you've got Egypt, you've got all these countries, Syria, right by them, that want to see them literally wiped off the map and often say it, and they've said it again. So it's it's interesting that the media has never gone after, you know, it makes complete sense, logically, that countries that want to wipe Israel off the map would do things like provoke and, and you know, it, you know uh, incite violence along the border and other places. 
So it makes complete logical sense, but they never follow that trail. They never go after it. Um, and so, you know, that's what we're going to go down there to do, because really what the media, all they do is they'll get a token statement from from a spokesperson. And we'll get those, too. We'll talk to them while we're there. But, you know, you never see anybody go the extra mile to actually see, are these peaceful protesters? Are, are they? I mean, we've had dozens of protesters actually get shot and killed in the last few weeks of protests as it's heating up. And as Jason said, it's going to be even even hotter when we get there. So I want to see. We want to see it. We're going to get down there as close as we can and see. Are these just peaceful protesters getting sniped off by by trigger-happy IDF soldiers? Or are we actually seeing terrorists uh, being sent in by Hamas, by these other groups, to cause violence for the specific purpose of causing violence and, and, and inciting riots and things like that? Will you guys do me a favor? Stop in uh, to memory. You know them. You remember them, uh, Dan. Um, and... Yeah. And ask them about the media and what the media is saying um, in the Arab world, in non-English channels. And let's find out what the what the Iranians are saying, what's happening uh, in Syria and Lebanon. Uh, what, is, what are the Palestinians watching and what is it they're saying about the March of Return? And if, see if you can find anything about the, I think they're now calling the 12th Imam the Imam of Time. And see mm-hmm. what's happening. We are um, so yeah. some some of the uh, just to get a quick rundown of what the audience is going to be able to have access to in the very near future is we are going we're going to go into East Jerusalem where we're we're trying to get into areas of Gaza and we're going to ask uh, the Arab community straight face to face what's going on here so we're going to ask them we're not going to take anybody from the media's perspective and we're not going to take their word for it we are going to take the audience directly to them so that we can ask those questions themselves. Um, We're also going to go into... uh, Dan, were you with me on Restoring Courage? Do you remember when we went there? Were you there while I delivered that speech? Yeah, I was not there at the speech. You and I went on a separate trip, you know, pre-planning trip over there. Okay. Yeah, I I gave a speech um, in the area that you're talking about, uh, and it was not friendly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. no, I, All right. that, okay. I was there for you. you <laughs> East Jerusalem, Glenn, when you were up on the balcony there, yeah. remember we set up there and, oh, they yeah. were, and there was just a lot they of... They were throwing uh, yeah, chairs at me. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah, and I, I'd, like to, I'd like to just add this in here. You're going to go along on the journey with us. That's the way Jason and I like to cover these things so that you, you kind of get the experience of going over there. And when we went to Iraq, I remember Jason sort of built this up for me. You know, Jason's a military guy and he's got all this background and he was like, Hey, we're gonna be we're gonna be good. We're gonna be rolling with the Peshmerga, and we're gonna be safe. So I'm telling my wife this. And then we get there, and we're just in some guy's Toyota in the middle of the <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? So so now I'm thinking, okay, we've learned our lesson from that. We're good. And then so we get this hotel, and we're like looking at where our hotel is on the map. And then Jason sending me articles, going, hey, check this out. And there's like right where our hotel was. It's like, hey, these are where the protests inside of Jerusalem were starting and people were stoned the other day. Like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> fantastic. So it looks like we've done it again. Well, I think it's uh, obvious to the audience we've been trying for a long time to get both of you killed. And I think here <laughs> yeah. we may actually succeed. Yeah. Please be safe. Right. I, I, when are you guys coming back? Um, so we're coming back on, we'll be back Wednesday evening. So everything when do you will leave. Uh, we leave tomorrow. So no, when do you leave there? Uh, the 15th or 16th, the 16th, that's Tuesday. And you guys will have access to the actual ceremony too. When, when the, the the embassy that just came through, right? Right. Yeah. You guys are going to be there. Historic times. Uh, I just want you to be careful. I think this is the most dangerous time. I think for Israel that I have seen, 
I don't remember 1968, 67, 68, but uh, uh, this had to feel like that time that my, build up my biggest fears are going to close airspace on us i mean it's that it's it really is that crazy right now but just to really quick for the audience so you can pay attention to this or, or know when this is coming in we're going to release a teaser uh, video that's going to drop sometime today in the next couple of hours but then every single day pretty much around the same time look for a video on the blaze and faithwire we're going to be giving you a daily update of everything we're seeing and that will culminate in a few weeks when we release an hour-long special. So that's everything that's going to be. But, but, but make sure you pay attention to both platforms uh, starting today over the next few days. And we'll give you everything up to the minute as it's happening. Dan, stay safe. Yes, sir. Listen to God. We'll Don't do. listen Thank to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Always good advice. Always good advice. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. And you stay safe, too. Thanks. I don't need to say listen to God to you. I know both of you guys do. That's why I feel somewhat okay with you both leaving. Stay safe. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, it's, and you're, you'll see not only the, the daily videos, but uh, uh, a documentary later coming, uh, kind of a joint production between The Blaze and Faithwire as we put this thing together. I think it's going to be pretty cool. And you're really going to see the inner workings of what's going on there in a really historic time in Israel. And I will do my work investigating it as well, watching some of the video after they come back. Yeah. So, I uh, tell you, if I could go, I would. Yeah, I, no, you I would. think You should. You I should. Think you is, should go. Yeah. Go. Get. <laughs> right. I just think I would love to be there for the opening of the embassy. That's just going to be, be incredible. Incredible. And we incredible. weren't sure if we were going to get access to it because, you know, I, uh, yeah. we don't, you know. <laughs> there are reasons why maybe we were, we expected we might not, but we did. But we did. Which is good. We did. Which okay. is good. All right. All right. You want to sell your home? Sell your home on time and for the most money. And don't be with a real estate agent that's going to offer up a bunch of excuses. Or, my favorite, we're going to have another open house on Saturday. Oh, jeez. Sell my house. Can you sell my house? There's over a thousand agents all over America that are just like you. They believe in a square deal. They believe in in you getting a good deal and the seller getting a good deal or the buyer getting a good deal. They are they know your area. They know how much your house is uh, worth and they have the expertise and the track record to show us that yes, they're going to sell your home on time and for the most amount of money. Thousands of families have already put realestateagentsitrust.com to the test. If you need a real estate agent, the one you need to, f- the one place you need to go, the one place you'll find them, realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's nothing but a minor misunderstanding. We have a minor misunderstanding with yeah, a Yeah, pe- it's not a big deal. With a pinata maker? Well, yeah, I mean, it was just a minor misunderstanding. Okay. Some people right. saw something that wasn't there. All right. Well, and now there's all this hassle. It was a minor issue. Okay. It's not that right. big of a deal. Why so are you so worked up I'm about not, it? I don't even know what the story's about. I just know that there's a pinata oh, and a misunderstanding. You don't subscribe to Minneapolis Pinata News? No. no. Oh, no, really? You're, no. not a, you're not a quarterly subscriber? <laughs> no, not, uh, yeah, I'm right. Not. Okay. Well, look, Victor, he's starting a new business. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. What's the big deal? Yeah. Starting a new business. We Are, are we not for entrepreneurs? Okay, right. right? Okay. We love them. So Victor's starting a new business. Yeah. So he's he's starting out of his home, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, you make a pinata. Mm-hmm. This is his business. He's a celebration. Sure. It's sure. about happiness. Yes. So he, uh, one of the things he does is when his pinata, he paints his pinatas, mm-hmm. he makes sure to 
hang them out to dry. Not okay. a big, not a big deal. Uh, not right. a big deal. Why is that a big deal? Are you, no. Do you well, want the paint I'm, to be I wet? Think and let me ask. There's a let, problem with what probably what he painted on it. Well, there was a minor issue here, as right. I as I said, a minor sure, misunderstanding sure, sure, sure. in which yeah. the, the the order came in uh-huh. for pinatas. Yes, uh, for a wedding. Mm-hmm. And are we against weddings? Do we not like love? So what's the wedding pinata? Well, it may have been a, an interracial couple. Oh boy. And so the piñata, he was accurately trying to show the skin tone of one of the participants in the wedding. The problem is when you make a piñata of an African American with a string coming out of them oh and you hang gosh. it on your front porch, oh my god. Some people get the wrong idea. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that maybe Oh my gosh. You're trying oh to make my. it look like you're lynching black people oh. on your front yard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, bad idea. It didn't go well. Really bad idea. Stunningly, the the, the wedding party did cancel their order. Uh, after the controversy because someone went by and took a picture and it does kind of look like he's hanging black people in his well, front but wait porch. a minute he wasn't did you see how about the guy who took that video that horrible horrible video where he's mocking this like five-year-old jewish kid oh yeah this hasidic jewish kid and he's just yeah i'd cry too if if my parents did that to me i mean you know what you look like kid i mean just tore him apart and he apologized. Yeah. And the Jewish community is coming out and rallying around him and saying, I think his apology was sincere. And it was. Did you hear his apology? Yeah, we have the we, I don't think we have time for it here, but we have uh, we have the audio of it. Yeah. And and I think this is a good thing. This was a really despicable video. All right. But the guy sounds sincere. And he was like, I'm really sorry. I didn't even see it. And and soon as I uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's that's horrible. That's not me. That's not what. And he said he felt like he was just a horrible human being. Yeah, he said it was a huge mistake, you know. But the good news is people are forgiving him and saying, "Okay, that's cool. Nobody's running him out of, you know, Twitter. Nobody's demanding that he, you know, is is, you know, tarred and feathered. People were obviously outraged i was when i saw it. i thought it was horrible and then they spoke out he heard the message and was like oh crap i'm really sorry he seems familiar seems sincere now let's move on that's a great ending it is a great uh, ending somebody it, who who had done things obviously he wasn't proud of learned a lesson maybe he moves on i mean he seems to be sincere the jewish community stepped up and said you know what he seems sincere now can we leave it alone I hope so. I hope so, too. Can we leave it alone? Can we actually go back to being normal human beings? Somebody makes a mistake, you apologize, we move on with our lives. That's the way America comes back together. Glenn Beck. February 10th, 2015. The Facebook message got straight to the point. Dear Angela, bloody Valentine's Day. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful, under the flag of the Islamic State, the cyber caliphate continues its cyber jihad. While your president, your husband, are killing our brothers in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, we are coming for you. You think you're safe, but ISIS is already here. Cyber caliphate got into your PC and your smartphone. We know everything about you, your husband, and your children. We are much closer than you can even imagine. Now imagine getting that. 
Now, that is the message received by an army wife, Angela Ricketts. She didn't know it yet, but she was part of a small group of military spouses who received death threats from the cyber caliphate on the same day. That day, the cyber caliphate hacked into a Twitter account of a charity called Military Spouses of Strength, run by the wife of a U.S. Marine named Liz Schnell. The hackers started tweeting threats to Schnell, her family, other military spouses, even Michelle Obama. It was pretty unnerving for those families at the time. And there was a ton of media coverage about the cyber war capabilities of ISIS. Now, let me give you the update. It wasn't ISIS at all. Yesterday, the Associated Press reported that the cyber caliphate is actually a group you might be familiar with. A group by the name Fancy Bear. They're not Muslim. They're not from the Middle East. They're from Russia. It's the same Russian government-sponsored hacking group that stole emails from John Podesta and the DNC and meddled in our election. So now why would Russian hackers target military families and military spouses? Well, if you don't understand Russia and what they're trying to do to us, you'll never figure it out. No one knows for sure, or at least if they do, they're not talking. But Angela Ricketts, I believe, is on the right track. She said it's more than just a test run. She said, I think they wanted to see where they could create the most chaos. She continued, quote, not only did we play right into their hands by freaking out, but the media played right into it as well. We reacted in a way that was probably exactly what they were hoping for, end quote. Now think of that. They threaten people's lives. It turns out that it's not ISIS. It's Russia. The media freaked out. We all freaked out. And we played into their hands. Could we not say exactly the same thing about even the current reaction to the 2017 or 2016 presidential election? The never-ending drama that is spilling out into houses all over the world out of television sets, out of phones, off the internet. Isn't that exactly what they were hoping for? I can't help but think that somewhere in a dingy basement in Russia, some nerdy, fat Russian hackers are laughing at our expense. It's Wednesday, May 9th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. I'm going to show you some new technology that Google announced yesterday. And I know I have talked to you before about you're going to have, everyone's going to have the rich man's life. You know, a long time ago, you couldn't own a book. Only rich people had books. They were just too expensive. Then printing became easy. Now, Anybody can have a large library. In fact, nobody does because it's just everywhere. You can get a book anywhere. Before, a book was a sign of status and wealth. Now you can have every book at your fingertips, at your fingertips in your pocket. Now, right now. And it's free. It's free. Generally speaking, it's free. 
when you hear about technology and you hear that it's going to put people out of business and you'll say, well, no, I mean, it's not going to put everybody out of business because I'm unique and some things just require a personal touch. And if I asked you, what would the one thing that you could have that rich people generally have? You might say a personal assistant. I just want a personal assistant. I want somebody who can just do all the stuff for me, order all the stuff for me, you know, make appointments, just just make sure that I'm on time, just clear all the red tape for me so I can just go and do those things. I don't have to worry about any of that. Well, we're going to show you what Google announced yesterday. And in the end, it will eliminate almost all secretarial jobs or assistant jobs because Google will be doing it. But this gives everyone access to their own personal assistant. And listen how far AI has come. So what you're going to hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. How can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a women's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm was Google, by the way. Sure, yeah. what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. Wow. Now think, eventually, the hair salon will also get rid of the person answering the phone and so it'll just be two machines talking to each other. Have your machine call my machine. Yeah. And will they even need to call? And what language will they use when they communicate? I mean, so, that sounds so natural. Notice too. that they put in the, uh. Yeah. It, they put ums in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm's and all the speech patterns that you'd expect from a normal person. Now, you would think, okay, that's great. But Siri doesn't understand me. No. I mean, Siri is Siri gives AI a bad name. I think AI is going to kill Siri. When when AI <laughs> is finally in charge, the first thing they do is kill Siri for making AI look so bad. Well, they launched they're launching it obviously and trying to make a commercial product out of it before it's at the level you're yes. hearing here, but this is it's already available to them. It's they can do it now in their laboratories and it's going to be coming to all of us very soon. Okay, so now here's here's Google uh, and the new Google Assistant Showing you that, yeah, this Google is not like Siri. This assistant can really navigate tough waters. Listen. Let's say you want to call a restaurant, but maybe it's a small restaurant which is not easily available to book online. The call actually goes a bit differently than expected. So take a listen. See how may I hear you? Hi. Um, I'd like to reserve a table for Wednesday the 7th. For seven people? Um, it's for four people. Four people? When? 
Wednesday at 6 p.m. Oh, actually, we reserve for like upper like five people. For few, four people, you can come. How long is the wait usually to uh, be seated? For when tomorrow or weekday or? For next Wednesday, uh, the seventh. Oh no, it's not too busy. You you, you can come for four people, okay? Oh, I got gotcha. you. Thanks. Yeah. Bye bye. Now I would have asked twice. What? Would you not have asked twice? <laughs> yeah. What? I, I'm sorry, I didn't catch what you said. There was a couple of times that the the language was turned upside down and the accent was so happy, so heavy that I didn't understand the phraseology or I didn't understand what exactly what she was saying. It didn't hesitate. And it was evil, even though the person on the other end of the phone didn't understand the AI voice. They were able to clarify it with them, explain exactly what they needed, understand when the idea of the reservation changed to just come in and still get off the phone in a very natural way. I mean, I, that's that's insane that that can happen right now. So the assistant, the thing about a great assistant, a great assistant can find you the table when no tables can be found, can find you the gift when all the stores are closed, can can do all of these things and be thinking ahead. Google now is saying that they are to the point of where they can write your emails for you. That makes me a little uncomfortable. They can write the email for you, and it's going to know you so well that no one will know. It can take care of everything that you need. So that the, what we were saying just a year ago, and I got email going, oh, you know, stop talking about that future stuff. It's so far away. We've got to see that. And remember, I said there's going to come a time when you're having a personal conversation and you're talking about, wouldn't it be nice to go on a trip? It'd be so nice to go on a trip and, you know, just get away for a weekend. You might be having that conversation with a friend or for, with your wife or husband, and your assistant, your Google assistant, will say to you, either that night or when you're by yourself or the next morning, hey, Glenn, you know, I heard you talking to your wife last night about going on a trip. I know you guys talked about the mountains, so I've researched, and there's really an affordable way for you to do that. I, I found this, this, and this, and I know what's in your checking account, and, you know, if you just kind of juggle these two things, I think you can afford this one. Should I book it? That's coming. It's almost here. Incredible. I mean, can you picture, too, like that technology on the backs of a scam to an elderly relative who gets a call from a voice that sounds that natural and can talk them into giving up some of their money or that their bank account has been compromised and you need what. to give us your password or whatever it is. I tell you what, try this on for size. They... They have compromised you and your Rolodex. And they know everything. It, it, the AI goes and learns everything about you off of Facebook and Twitter. Then has your Rolodex. Can you imagine how many people it can call as or, you know, when they, when they um, can make a voice print like yours? Imagine calling as you. Or as a representative and say, hey, you know, Glenn's in trouble and John, he wanted me to call you. 
And I know you guys have been talking about X, Y, and Z because it can read your email. It can read Facebook, Twitter. It knows everything about John. It knows everything about me. It knows what I would say to John, how I would react. It would know personal things that John would only think that I would know. Inside jokes. It's, 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 it's a wild dream mm-hmm. of scams. Try this on for size. One of the books that I've recommended in the last year, and I can't remember which one it was now, I'll have to look it up, talks about this um, email system that this company, you know, invented. It was a novel, and I suggested you read it because it is the future. And it has an email that can predict you and can write all your emails. Look, uh, here we are. But it has access to all of those things, and so it knows you. Well, it manipulates because its job is to get this goal done for you. So it starts to manipulate relationships. And the more the email is spread around and everybody has, it has everybody's information. And in the book, it makes great strides towards peace. But it also makes great strides towards war depending on who it's representing and no one knows the the information for instance in in the book in one scene uh a guy is doing something and he's going to find out that this email system is pretty much taking over which was its goal which was its its assigned duty but because that was its signed assigned goal it didn't know you know well you just you can't do anything to make that happen. So it just starts making sure that the people who might stand in the way are off on other projects. And so the, an email is sent to somebody who is going to be in this board meeting to stop it. Hey, um, it's your mom. Come quick. Your dad is in the hospital. Yada, yada, yada. Um, don't call. Just come. So he leaves. The he they know that they're going to be the weather patterns. Uh, I've already mom says I've already made a you know reservations on the plane. Just get there. So he gets on the plane. He goes there. The storm is coming in. The AI knows the storm blocks him in, cuts the power lines, and it's all blamed on the storm. But it's all this system because it's integrated into everything, and it's just making sure that that goal of its client is taken care of. It's, I mean, we are entering an entirely different world quickly. Google announced that product yeah. yesterday. I read that segment on Infopocalypse a while ago where you're yeah. not necessarily going to believe anything that you see yeah. and I mean, or hear in this particular instance. I mean, think about that. We, the way we react as a society right now, if this gets out of control, we are going to beg the government to step in and stop it. We are going to beg the government. We're going to beg them to take control of these things. We're going to beg them to take control of our lives to protect us from this stuff. And that is a dangerous road as well. Wait a minute. Who's the pessimistic one? You're always underselling this stuff, Glenn. I'm trying to get the real (laughs) word out. (laughs) Hey, I want to tell you how, how I save five grand. And you can too. I save five grand. Not knowing I was going to spend five grand. I sent my car in for an oil change. That's what I did. Uh, And surprise, surprise, uh, it's actually my older truck. Uh, When I got there, they said, uh, yeah, it's it's actually closer to uh, $6,500. What? 
Well, closer to $6,500. Well, what do you mean $6,500? So, uh... Well, it's just something there. Obviously, there was some other massive issue going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was expecting oil change, and uh, lo and behold, it wasn't. So, they immediately looked at me and said, but you had car shield, and so it's all taken care of. You just have to pay for the oil change. Wait, what? So, I saved over $5,000. About $6,500, I think. And I didn't have to do anything mm. because I have car shield. If you are out of warranty, you can get an extended uh, extended coverage now on your car. All the covered repairs, super, super easy. They also give you 24-7 roadside assistance, a rental car while yours is being fixed. It's free. So if your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles on it, don't pay the high repair bills. Car Shield. Car Shield is there. Save yourself thousands of future car repairs because it's going to happen. Take care of it now. Call 1-800-CAR-6100. 1-800-CAR-6100. Mention the promo code back. Or just go to carshield.com. That's carshield.com. Use the promo code back. Save 10%. A deductible may apply. It's carshield.com. Promo code back. So we were just talking about, um, you know, the new Google technology, the new Google Assistant. And I said, you know, once you connect and data dump, let's say American Express, you dump American Express, all of its connections into AI and, you know, you partner with somebody else. I don't know, Four Seasons or whatever. There is no concierge or no assistant that will be able to be better than the AI once they get the Siri problems fixed. You know, it seems as though Google has made great strides in that. But, you you know, you, you if you have Amazon Alexa, you know that you're probably shouting out it once in a while. Um, yes. Um, right, my wife, especially, who can't seem to understand that there needs to be a slight space between Alexa and stop when the music's playing. Yeah. Says, Alexa, stop! Just crazy. Alexa, stop! Alexa, stop! <laughs> and it's like, it, you, it's just, Alexa, stop. That's all you need to do. But she just will not do it. She yeah. will not do it. So it, we're frustrated right now. But may I remind you, do you remember what technology was like five years ago when we started the blaze five, six years ago? No one wanted to do it because of buffering. Yeah. Do you remember buffering, 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 buffering? I can't can't watch the show. It's stop and go. I can't do it. Oh, it's all now, we dealt with in those early years. Right. And now who doesn't watch television on their phone or on their iPad? I mean, who isn't accessing stuff through you know through the internet now that's we're, we're cutting cable six years later the problem you're having with alexa or amazon now those problems are gone and what's on the other side is going to be remarkable watch in five years well what's making news is not really news um but what's making news today is uh, the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints that's the lds church the mormons uh, said it's severing all ties with the Boy Scouts of America. Those Mormons. Uh, I know. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> they said that they increasingly felt the need to create and implement a uniform youth leadership and development program that serves its members globally. The two organizations, Boy Scouts and LDS Church, uh, jointly determined that is, as of December 31st, 
The church will no longer be a chartered partner of the Scouts. It said in a joint statement with the Boy Scouts. This actually isn't new. They made the announcement initially about a year ago and said that, you know, in the next year. They're phasing it out. Yeah, we're phasing it out. Yeah. And so this is just the implementation of that. But this is a really big deal for the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, it's 20% of their membership. Yeah. I mean, that's That's a lot. I thought it was higher than that, but it's according to this 20%. I think it's (laughs) also one of, it's disproportionate in its uh, funding as well yeah it's not 20 percent of the boy yeah. scout funding i think it's much more that than that um, um this is going to hurt the boy scouts badly and it is you know but i mean but they made you, their bed now they get to lay in it i mean you, what now you can be a girl and be mm-hmm. in boy scouts what mm-hmm. are you doing i mean all the changes that they made were like okay uh yeah. stop i don't i don't know if we can hang with that but stop if you're and they wouldn't if you're a girl and you want to be in scouts there's no options for you though yeah it's called girl scouts that would be great if that existed but i'm saying it does it does yeah they and have they the cookies. cookies oh yeah, you know yeah the, cookie the delicious cookies i mean it's just you know you know the problem is is that you're you've you're developing the progressive movement is destroying anything mm-hmm. that holds boys up anything mm-hmm. uh and there's nothing more critical right now than than grabbing onto our boys and teaching them how to be a real man how to be honorable how to be decent how to be honest how to be you know trustworthy forthright helpful all the things that the boy scouts were supposed to teach uh and you're supposed to teach them for boys because boys are different than girls but you can't say that anymore. how dare you say that i know how I know. dare you i know the patriarchy never stops and they they in, in my perception they caved every step of the way they caved to political correctness Every, every step, step of, of the way yeah and so and it got a, to the point where uh, sorry we can't tolerate it we can't be a part of it i i have to tell you uh i was i i've been waiting for the cutoff i mean i i was out of my skin last week when the boy when the boy scout said okay well girls can be in there too now what mm-hmm. what are you talking about girls can be in the boy scouts that doesn't make that doesn't even make sense uh, and, uh, I was just out of my skin. I was like, well, you know, when is the church just going to come out and say enough, enough. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they didn't have to, I guess, uh, because they have been saying this now for a few years internally, they've been moving to their own thing, uh, slowly, but surely. And they've got a gracious exit here. And so they're, they're taking it and it has nothing to do with today's news because as Pat said, they've announced this over a year ago internally mm-hmm. to the membership and, and now it's, today it's just uh, finalized good luck yeah. drive safely yeah. uh have fun at your campouts. well you know we'll do something else yeah what are you gonna do it's really gonna hurt the boy scouts i it's it's four hundred thousand people four hundred thousand scouts are out of it now so but you know again you make choices and there's consequences for them so <laughs> do you see the I, people in, online today Oh, it's just who needs those religious people anyway? Well, Boy Scouts, for one. Yeah. Um, but have you, I mean, the people that, that were tweeting, I can guarantee you they don't have a kid in scouting. They don't write a check to the Boy Scouts of America. They're right. just loud mouths on, on Twitter. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a lesson yeah. that is so difficult for organizations to learn that, you know, maybe you should cater to the people who actually like your organization. And have supported you for all these years. Yeah. Even, you know, even this though I'm a not... a charter member. Right. The LDS Church is a charter member, meaning yeah. they were there at the beginning. 
and they helped charter them. They have poured millions over into the a century, over a century. And I know you've written the checks. We do the Friends of Scouts thing every year. I've written the checks, even though I I didn't really care that much about Boy Scouts. I wanted my sons to become Eagle Scouts, um, but they didn't care that much about Scouts. But even so, continued to support and pay money into it. And and millions of LDS people did. And so when it gets to a point where you just, you've made so many decisions that are contrary to uh, our belief system it's uh time to part ways yeah i want my son to be an eagle but um you know what does it mean right the yeah. point of it what is it because there's a set of principles because yeah. it's difficult because, because yes. there are mm-hmm. rules and laws for you to follow and and it means something when you open it up to you know just anything yeah, and like everything. you change the whole point that there's no there's no point in the organization unless you have those principles yeah and the boy scouts don't even have cookies Right. So yeah. now you've given me no choice. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, if you at, had cookies. At least if you had thin mints, we might yeah. consider staying around right. for a while. Right. But you don't. It's the only you reason know. why I give to the Girl Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> I want the damn cookies. It's not I really mean, they giving could, to the Girl Scouts could, when you're buying their cookies. No, it, it is. They, could, exactly be, they could be shopping. They could be shopping Satanism. And I'd be like, oh, you got the cookies? <laughs> uh, Are they the thin mints? Do they taste like the other thin mints? <laughs> honey, I know this is for the devil, but... It's a thin, just one box. <laughs> the other thing it does is uh, cut down on campouts, which I'm always in favor oh of. Oh, my God. I'm always in favor of that. I'm really happy about that. Except the church <laughs> is going to come up with something. I know they are. Oh, yeah, I know. They're going to come up with something that's like, Fortunately, every my... family should do this. No, not my family. It is good families. <laughs> every family should. What if it's like sitting on couches? Then okay. Yes, they don't you know? do that. Right. No. They don't. They don't do that. No. We've been pushing for that. There like, needs to be a night where we all just sit on the couch and don't talk to each don't other. Don't talk to each other. <laughs> maybe put on a movie. Right. And everybody shuts up. <laughs> right. And eat until we pass out. And if we can't agree night. on the movie, <laughs> if we can't agree on the movie, everybody just go to your own personal device. Well, right? yes, of course, obviously. That doesn't, <laughs> right. It's Do amazing how often a, that happens. Actually. I know. Do you have a problem? I mean, I, I'll say to the family, hey, you want a movie night? Let's watch. Let's watch a movie. No one can agree on a movie. That is only 100% of the time. Right. And <laughs> only 100%. 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. No one can agree on the yep. movie. And so we'll spend an hour talking about the movie. And I'll say, well, okay, it's bedtime now. Right. Okay? Right. No movie. It's gotten to the point where I don't even suggest let's watch a movie. <laughs> I am. I'm to that point. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a show. Yeah. It's a movie. It's anything. Mm-hmm. The, no one will take one for the team. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right. And going back to the artificial intelligence conversation we were having earlier, the fact that Netflix can't find the right movie for me yet, <laughs> the fact that I have to scroll that long to find something shows we've got at least a couple weeks until the apocalypse. Mm, right. Because if they can't figure that out yet, I mean, maybe it's an unsolvable equation. That was, you know what? Mm-hmm. That's a really good thing. There's something that next Netflix should work on because... All my family has their own little Netflix, you know, icon. Mm. You know, Rafe watches his, Cheyenne watches her, mom, dad. So it knows. It should. It, it's worth twice the <laughs> twice the amount of money if it can say, "I got a movie all of you will like." That yeah, would be amazing. You're gonna like yeah. this now. Yeah. Instead, their algorithm is such that you know. Hey, you just watched Lost in Space. Maybe you'll like 
Debbie does Dallas. No, that's not the same thing at all. I, well, and, and you know what? You put one thing in there. You put one thing in there that oh. you're just like I watched something like uh, uh, old industrial, you know, education films from the 1950s. I was trying to get something for something that I was writing. And I saw this and it was like old commercials from the 1970s. And I'm like, oh, OK. And it's all it is is just like 90 minutes of commercials back to back. And so I just uh, now, because you watched commercials of the 70s, I've got this whole <laughs> list of things that I'll never, ever watch. I'll be like, no, no, I didn't like that. Uh, that was homework. Yeah. I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, you're much more industrious than I am and in that I have uh, only one sign in under my name. And, you know, the kids sign in under my oh, name. Was, screw so now, like, the, my recommendations is it's either movies for four-year-olds or Hitler documentaries. <laughs> it's the only two things. <laughs> <laughs> so which one, which one do you end up watching? <laughs> All right. The June Fed meeting is coming up June 12th through the 13th. Economists overwhelmingly predict the Fed is going to raise rates. Hmm, I find that hard to believe. Did you see what happened in Argentina today? Ah, just a minor, minor increase in the cost of your goods and services. Minor. Argentina is suffering now from uh, massive inflation as well. And so uh, to control the, the uh, price of the Argentine peso, uh, they rose interest rates to 40%. It's not a big deal, though. Hope Everything you don't have an fine. adjustable loan on that one. <laughs> Holy crap. Holy cow. All right. So may I suggest this is going to come here. It is going to come here. Whether you're buying your first home, your next home, your investment home, doesn't matter. You're looking to get out of the high interest rate credit cards that you have. Call American Financing. They will customize the right loan program for you. You can pre-qualify in 10 minutes, close in as fast as 10 days. It's American Financing. They have salary-based mortgage consultants. They don't work on commission. They work for you, and they have an A-plus rating with a BBB. Over 1,700 Google reviews. They offer e-sign, so you can complete your documents from the comfort of your home. There's no upfront fees. I mean... The, the Jumbo, FHA, VA, HARP, Streamline, Conventional, USDA, FDIC, MOUSE. They've got all of them. Licensed in 50 states, it's American Financing. Call 800-906-2440. That's 800-906-2440. American Financing. Get this done now. Lock in your interest rates. Get the get the best deal probably of the next decade. Americanfinancing.net. Do it now. Americanfinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck. Thanks so much for tuning into the program today. So uh, do we have a pool update? I see you're here. You didn't electrocute yourself trying to change the light bulbs? No, I, I didn't. Assume? I don't have I, uh, Me personally, I don't have a I don't have a update on that. Are your pool lights working? Yes, they are. Let's leave it at that. I definitely don't want to leave it at that. Why are... Well, you know that I took the pool lights out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So trying to, you know, do the stuff that, you know, a husband's supposed to do. 
change the light bulbs. That's you. Right. That's your MO. That's me. I am the king of the honey-do list. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I started to change the light bulbs in the pool. And, uh, you know, uh, first by calling someone. And they said, it's $2,000. And I said, that's insane. Right. And I hung up the phone. So then I thought, how do you get the pool lights out? Lo and behold, there's YouTube. So I, I YouTubed how to change pool lights. And I... It's always a good thing to YouTube. Underwater electricity. That's a good that's, idea. That did mm-hmm. cross my mind. But I turned off the power. And so I turn off the power and I take the pool lights out and everything is fine until I open them up. And then I'm like, the gasket, I'm not sure. The seal, we are dealing with water. I got to eventually turn the electricity back on and the lights might work. But then what happened? I don't, I I mean, Mm. do I have one of the kids test the water to make sure it's not (laughs) electrified? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's good thought. So, so I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to Leslie's pools and I'm gonna talk to them. I'm gonna go a step further than YouTube, you know, for the kids. Well, I get a note. I'm talking about this on the air, and my wife writes and says, "You're talking. Why are you talking about this on the air?" And uh, I'm like, "What? What's it to you?" And she said, "Cause we're, we got them all lit, and they're, they're in, in. We, we put them all back. Okay, now that happened during the show." couple of days ago mm-hmm. she didn't do it my 12 year old daughter did it <laughs> i mean i'm just so, not allowed to be a man i'm just not allowed to be a man i mean it's it's really the it way was really, you act the way you act you are up. not allowed to be shut a man. Up. I, I will agree with you on that. come on you thought i was perfectly reasonable to say hey now let's hang on let me just go to the pool supply place and make sure we got new gaskets and everything else right it did seem like it was a sane thing yes. to do and then your wife put your daughter in extreme danger well that's what that's the way i see it that's the way i <laughs> so see you're it. the good parent here again you're the victim thank you this is how it works thank you now can i tell you an, another person that probably shouldn't youtube things a woman had no idea she was pregnant <clears throat> uh, for the first six months she decides that she's already got a a trip to Germany planned. And so that's not going to stop her. And besides oh. her due date is three weeks away. Right. Cancellation fees, all that. You don't want yeah, that. You don't want that. No. So she's 22 years old. She's traveling alone. She has a 17 hour stopover in Istanbul on her way to Germany. Well, then her water breaks and she's like, I am not giving birth on the floor of an airport in Istanbul which I hear they're really clean and very nice. Anyway, she... she it's one of the best birthing airports in the world. Oh, seriously, mm-hmm. seriously. So she first feels like she's, she's got these contractions. Maybe it's because she had salmon on the plane. You're on your way to Istanbul. Don't eat fish, okay? Don't eat fish. <laughs> this woman just really <laughs> doesn't make a lot of good choices. So she's at the Istanbul airport. She gets stuck in the the customs queue, and she finally, uh, you know, convinces somebody, I- I'm going to have a baby. And so they rush her through, and she goes to a hotel. Now, me, I'd go to a hospital, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but she went to a hotel, while she's on her way to the hotel, she's she's YouTubing how to give childbirth. Okay? She goes to the hotel. She is running a, a warm tub of water. 
she doesn't make it. She gives birth by herself in Istanbul on the bathroom floor, not at the airport, but at a very nice hotel. <laughs> so her American standards, you know, they they were they were intact. <laughs>